Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Joshua Friedman. Hello and welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm Joshua Friedman, news editor at Rappaport, and our special guest for this episode was Tiffany Stevens, the CEO, President and General Counsel of the Dual Vigilance Committee, the JVC, which is an organization that provides legal guidance to the jewelry industry. We had an interesting conversation in which we discussed U.S. sanctions on Russian diamonds, the G7, the development of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission's green guides on responsible sourcing claims, and many other issues, including Tiffany's own background in the jewelry industry. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. This is a very apt time to have you on the podcast, Tiffany, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here today. Tiffany, I'd like to go straight into the important topics in the industry and also in the press. We often look to the JVC to give an interpretation of important legal developments, and especially around the US sanctions on Russian goods. We've often waited for your member alerts quite eagerly to help us understand various government measures and the significance of them. And there was a G7 meeting in Hiroshima in Japan over the weekend where the US and other important nations were represented. And the topic was, of course, Russia and responses to the war in Ukraine. But it, it seemed that the outcome of the meeting was more of the same when it came to the diamonds. And, and the G7 nations said they were going to work on keeping Russian diamonds out of the market, but there's still no real formal international sanctions on diamonds. But at the same time, the language that they came out with in the post-summit statement was stronger than a little bit stronger than in the past. So, uh, uh, Tiffany, what was your take on what happened at this summit? I agree with your sentiments. And I also watched your market update from a couple days ago and i thought that really also was totally spot on we've been eagerly anticipating news from this g7 summit specifically we knew that diplomatic relations were aiming towards this meeting obviously it's a seminal event in any case this year especially for us for those of us in the us or people who are jbc members we had Ambassador James O'Brien, who's the head of sanctions for the State Department, speak at our event. He came to talk to industry in person to use some of the same strong language to let us know something was coming. So we were very highly anticipating news out of this year's um, summit. To your point, it seems like we have sort of an announcement about an announcement with stronger language. So we remain on the edge of our seats to find out exactly what that's going to mean. But I think, you know, these diplomatic processes, especially when they're meaningful, can take some time. It does seem like there are more and more parties truly concerned about this issue and that momentum has built. The logistics of how they might roll that all out is taking time. I guess that's actually pretty encouraging because hopefully they're being thoughtful about it and thoughtful about rolling it out in a way that we can actually achieve our, you know, we all have this same shared goal of preventing the flow of funds to this war. But Again, we wait to see exactly what that's going to look like. Right. This is actually a question we were discussing in our news team uh, the other day. The U.S. has, you know, the U.S. has certain sanctions on Russian diamonds. The U.K. has certain sanctions on Russian diamonds, etc. But is there such thing as G7 sanctions? And are we right to expect that at some point the G7 could, as a unit, introduce sanctions? Is Is that something that it does? I believe that it's possible, but I do think that it would be quite powerful if the countries themselves, right, actually put it forward as their own sort of locuses of power, loci of power, would probably mean a lot more coming from the member countries themselves than from this third party body. Right. I see. Talking of the the US, probably the biggest point of 
contention with the US sanctions is this issue of substantial transformation. I think I hope I got that right, which obviously means that diamonds, at least the way it's usually interpreted, is that diamonds that come from Russia, but are cut and polished somewhere else, like in India, um, are technically legal in the US. Does everyone agree that that is true? Is that something that could change at some point soon? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the pathway that the US government has left open on purpose. I've heard it characterized as a loophole. It's not a loophole. It was designed this way. You know, the purpose here is not to collapse US industry or to punish diamonds or any other product. The goal here is to stop the flow of money to Putin. So the substantial transformation pathway was very methodically designed, or I should say adopted. It's a larger custom standards. We'll never get away from substantial transformation as a concept. It's a much larger concept than just diamonds. It's just how it's applied to our industry. So at this time, that is a valid path for products. We have found that consumer sentiment is actually stronger at this time, it has been for the last year, than the sort of actual rules are. So even though this behavior is technically allowed, um, we found that consumers and those in the trade are actually going several steps further often and saying, well, I know that this technically might be okay, but I don't want any Russian goods and you need to show me you know, the proof that you're not passing those along. So that's really interesting because we deal with lots of different compliance topics and never are consumers or the trade wanting to go further than what the current rules are. So it's been a really interesting space to live in the last year, although I think it seems in the coming months it'll be rectified because I think the rules are going to catch up to where sentiment is. Right. So actually, I was going to ask about that because I wonder if it's got to the point where further sanctions would actually not have any point given that companies, the trade and consumers have already voted with their feet. I, I mean, just personally, I think that there's always room. You know, I'm a lawyer. I'm a rule follower. I love <laughs> rules. So I think it's great to show the seriousness of the U.S. government, the G7, the world symbolically on this issue and then practically on the logistical side. And anybody who's still okay with doing this, you know, that we sort of tighten, tighten that up. I don't think it's been completely solved internally, even though the sentiment is there. For Tiffany, one of the things that caused a little bit of confusion, maybe it's just me that's confused, is this question about some sort of potential traceability solution. This phrase has come with a lot of the traceability solution or technology solution to this problem. Do we have any information yet on what this would entail? Right. I mean, I share your sentiment. I'm sure as a journalist, you know even more than I do about some of the details of these programs. And I think it's right as a society, I think we've all as humans yearned for technology to save us in different ways. And we always want to believe that that's possible. It seems there are some interesting developments on the technology side. I haven't seen anything personally yet that shows that this problem would be solved with the push of a button with some great piece of technology. So I'm willing to be convinced. I hope to be amazed, but I haven't quite seen yet the technological side of this being possible. I don't know what you've seen. I mean, the suggestion that seems to be that there'll be a requirement to declare the origin of diamonds and that this would only be possible through technology. Is that requirement, is that going to happen? And if so, how, how far away are we from that happening? Yeah, I mean, one of the really interesting things about working at the JVC for me and everybody else who works with me is the combination of esoteric problems and issues and questions like we're talking about now. How might the global trade of diamonds be altered? It also collides with practical implications because what we actually spend all day doing is advising our members on how to run their businesses, some of them quite small, some of them quite enormous. So 
I don't know. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, if you think about a case study being lab-grown diamonds and all of the different solutions that have come up from like sort of spraying everything with some sort of, you know, chemical that would be detected in a certain way or engraving or whatever. We've seen that sort of traceability or differentiation come up. There are some good ideas, but one of the problems is like the bad actors are the ones who aren't going to do it in the first place. <laughs> so you're sort of putting the onus on all the people who are probably doing the right thing anyway. And then you've still got this sort of flow of other goods coming in, not to mention secondhand goods and so forth. And then, you know, in the US, when we were looking at something like the FTC, they're always balancing, you know, how much do they want to chill commercial activity versus how much are they protecting the consumer? So there's so much nuance there. Again, I wish there were a really easy technological answer. And maybe there's a brilliant engineer out there right now who's already solved this. But for me, just more homework to do to meet more people who are building these kinds of products, but I haven't seen it yet. And with the case study that we've had with LabGrowns, it doesn't seem quite so easy. How is the trade coping with the sanctions so far? From my point, you might have a different point of view. From my point of view, I've been really impressed with how seriously people are taking it at all levels. From my point of view, small to big, everyone seems to be doing everything that they can. I think most people are hungry for more direction and clarity from the government and perhaps for the government to go a step further and to give them some guidance on how to do that. I think there's some, we're talking about confusion around the technology or the logistics of exactly how to do all of this. But, you know, it's been amazing. And especially in the US right now, which can be fractured in so many ways on so many issues, even like tiny issues, people are fighting here about them. But this one, I mean, everybody is on the same page. So that's been um, surprising and kind of um, heartening, actually, in a way. All right. I'm not asking you to make any dramatic predictions, but what, what do you think could be the next step in this sanctions story? What should we watch out for next? I don't have a crystal ball or anything like that, but just from the indications we've gotten from government, and we haven't even mentioned gold in this conversation, which is obviously a parallel issue, but it does seem, you know, Ambassador O'Brien came from DC to speak to trade directly. We're getting all these indications that this is serious and that they're really trying to figure this out. Belgium came to the table. The G7 has spent time on this. What we're preparing for is for there to be a change in the substantial transformation pathway and for that to no longer be a valid pathway for new you know, goods coming into the US market. It would be an incredible shift, right? It would be a lot of work for all of us to figure that out, but it seems like it's the meaningful next step. All right. Well, now you mentioned gold, I feel I should ask about gold. The US banned Russian gold, correct? About a year ago. We usually deal with diamonds, but how how is the gold market being affected? Right. Well, we know that Putin is also holding lots of gold reserves and they're paying in gold. They're paying Wagner Group in gold. I mean, it's a really complicated issue. And when we talk about traceability, right? I mean, geez, like it's it's just such a beast. I don't know what's next or how that's going to be solved, but I know that they're also quite serious. The US government is quite serious about this issue and really struggling and working hard to kind of come up with solution. Um, you'd have to speak to a gold expert on the financial side about how it's, how it's um, impacted financials in the market. But we see our members are always concerned about gold, gold issues, tracing of gold in general. And so this only adds to their sort of list of worries. Tiffany, I'd like to ask about another hot topic, which is the FTC green guys. You have been, correct me if I'm wrong on this, you've been conducting a united process to gather submissions from the industry for the FTC's green guys, which is these guidelines on terminology and behavior 
for making sustainability claims and responsible sourcing claims. How has that gone? Yeah, thank you for bringing it up. Actually, um, we're in the time machine. <laughs> when we're recording this, I'm in an hour boarding a train down to DC to go to a hearing at the Federal Trade Commission early tomorrow morning, focusing just on the term recycling, which is one of the many issues they're focusing on. But the Green Guides themselves, like you said, they basically set the standards for marketing in the U.S. market, any marketing that touches the U.S. consumer of any product, no matter where the company itself is based, for any type of green claim or eco claim, sustainability, all of these topics are under the umbrella of the Green Guides. We've had the same rules since 2012. So if they were published in 2012, right, they were probably written and advocated for in like 2009, 2010. The world has substantially changed in the 10 plus years, especially around the issues and the consumer consciousness around sustainability. And sadly, I think the temperature of the world has gone up in those 12 years as well. So the FTC under the leadership of Lena Khan, who's the newish FTC commissioner and has been trailblazing in lots of ways, is taking this quite seriously and has opened the door to basically everything. So it's a process. They announced that they were going to rewrite all these rules then they issued these questions for anyone in the U.S. to answer any trade, including ours. And they really put everything on the table. So they're looking at redefining organic completely, redefining recycling, maybe writing a definition for sustainability, which we don't have currently. They're looking at the entire concept of carbon offsets, really so many different issues. And thousands and thousands of comments have come in from industries all over the U.S., as jewelry, you know, we're small, but we're special. And we always want to make sure that our concerns are taken seriously and fully understood. So the reason JVC exists is for just these moments. So we went out to our membership and the industry at large over the last six months, conducted interviews, feedback, calls, town halls, all kinds of things to explain exactly what was at stake and to get people's honest feedback about what goes on at their business or from their point of view, we didn't have an agenda going into it. We took everybody's feedback and built out our own strategic advocacy points based on what our members said. And we wrote a basically a legal brief that's about 25 pages responding to the issues that we thought were most important to our industry. Then that's available on the FTC website. Those are all public comments and they're part of the public record now. So that's step one, sort of the opening salvo, right? We tried to set the tone for the issues that are important to us. Because they opened the door so wide, it gave us lots of room to focus on what we wanted to, but it also left lots of questions in our minds about what exactly the FTC has in mind for this process. They haven't tipped their hand at, at all yet on that. So tomorrow we'll hear from them on recycling specifically. This matters for us you know, for many reasons, but mostly for gold and other precious metals. We're working with our metals members on that issue. And then the next step will be the FTC will come back in the next, you know, X number of months and issue either more questions that we can answer that are probably going to be more pointed. And we'll come back to industry again. So anyone who's listening, please don't be shy. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And we'll write probably another brief you know, honing in on the issues once we realize what's actually in play. And we'll also have a chance to read the other industries' public comments and talk to our friends at other trade associations and other industries to figure out where we can build alliances to advocate for some of the things we all have in common and to understand where some of our friends in fashion, apparel, or cars, or wherever might have a contradictory view to us. One thing I'm really watching out for is, you know, JVC is product neutral, but 
We didn't address lab grown, the issues around lab grown because it wasn't asked at this time. We alluded to it as an issue, but there just, it wasn't timely. We're going to watch what happens with milk in the milk industry, the meat industry, and the leathers industry because they have their own sense of lab grown issues and see where we might be able to team up with them um, where it makes sense. And then year plus, we'll have actual new rules. We'll actually have the new rules and you'll get the summary from JVC about what you're supposed to do next in your advertising, probably about a year from now. Just to clarify what you mean about what you said about lab grown, you said you didn't mention lab, you haven't mentioned lab grown. We mentioned it, but we didn't take us, there wasn't any, there wasn't a foothold with the, because you have to respond to the questions they asked. There wasn't a foothold in the set of questions they asked because they were just so broad. It, it felt artificial to have some huge argument one way or the other about lab grown with the questions they asked and being responsive. We surfaced it as an issue, but we're sort of waiting to see because it is a larger issue, right, that touches lots of industries to see where what the arguments are and how we might uh, be able I to. See. Right. So when, when, for example, when the final guys come out and they address, say, lab-grown meat or something, you'll be able to interpret that to give some guidance to how... Even earlier. So we're looking at what our friends and other trade associations are advocating for and we'll join with them in advocacy well in advance of the new rules coming out to if it's relevant. If not, we'll address it when the jewelry guides are revised again in a couple of years. But I suspect, this is just a personal suspicion, that you know the milk industry is very interested in this issue, as is meat and leather to a lesser extent, and maybe some others too that I'm not thinking of. So yeah, because I think there was sort of a green halo around a lot of different lab-grown products that has sort of shifted. And so we'll see, you know, but the FTC ultimately is just always interested in the data the consumer perception data. And that's another thing that hopefully we can lean on our friends in other industries. And based on the submissions that came in, what would you describe as the biggest the biggest concerns of the industry? What's Can you give us a sort of summary of what people have said? Absolutely. So we have written our submission and turned it in and it's public if anyone wants to wade through all 25 pages, but I'm happy to just hit the highlights here. One that we were very surprised by is that just about everybody in metals, if not everyone, is very concerned about the term recycling for each from their own perspective, but all of them came to the same conclusion, which is that they forwarded to us that they think that the word recycling should be taken away from metals and jewelry because it's just not meaningful and it creates a false consumer perception of what's going on because all metal, no one's throwing away gold, right? So it's kind of all recycled. And just because something is labeled as recycled doesn't mean that it's holier than thou necessarily. It could come from a very problematic source in the Amazon. It could have been traded through a cartel, you know. So we were very surprised about that, but we built a big argument around it and asked the FTC to consider other terminology such as reused, repurposed, or responsible. Likewise, everyone in industry outside of metals, just in general, pretty much everybody wanted to get away from the word sustainable or sustainability totally. They feel that in the consumer's mind, it has lost all meaning because it's been misused so much by so many people. Those who take sustainability really seriously in industry have stopped using it altogether and instead sort of tell their story, their sourcing story. You know, that's pretty, that can get long-winded and with so much advertising happening online now, it's even worse because you'd only have people's attention for a few seconds. So we definitely need something. We propose that, again, we use the word responsible, that there's some definition for the word responsible and that we can break that down between responsible products 
and responsible business practices. And therefore, that everyone in the industry would feel that they could confidently make a claim on one, if not both, of those fronts. I was actually I was surprised by the issue around recycling and recycle because I think the American Gem Trade Association, the ACTA, had this committee of people who were kind of working on the green guys issue, and they called for the term to be banned, the term recycle to be banned. And the explanation they gave was pretty much what you said that there's no evidence that diamonds or cutter stones are being thrown into landfills in an amount that is meaningful. So it, it caught my attention because it never occurred to me that people interpreted recycled diamonds in that way, that people imagined, consumers imagined that diamonds were being kind of thrown in the rubbish, thrown in the trash, and the big green right. truck was coming and picking it up and putting it through a treatment factory. But are, there, are, there, are there consumers that think that that's what goes on? I don't think so. But, you know, it's just that's where we are with the definition of recycled right now is being is something that's diverted from the waste stream. So that's why like going to the workshop on recycling tomorrow at the FTC is so important because we want to see if they're going to change the definition of recycled. Okay, maybe we can fit in. But the way that it's defined now, it truly makes doesn't really make sense for us. And it's great. I mean, you know, we really are happy that AGTA has gotten together with their concerns and thought about terminology Sibjo has done the same. The Jewelry Summit had a terminology project. I think it's really important within industry for us to get together and decide what's meaningful to us, what's moral to us, what makes sense to us in our sort of informal or formal trade groups. I think when we're talking about the FTC, I just always want to caution us from getting too caught up in our own terminology because what actually matters legally is the sort of federal government definitions, whether it's at the U.S. level or, you know, an international level. So I think it's important to keep both parallels going at the same time to sort of interpret that text that we're getting from the government and to work it out amongst ourselves as things continue to change. But I think we do have to, you know, of course, defer to the actual hard text at the federal level. You mentioned this, but what is the timetable for the Green Guys process being completed? Sure. So it's a process. The FTC looks at all of their different guidance about once every 10 years. So we have some indication of what the timeline might be because they're constantly going through this process with different subjects. We don't know exactly. The FTC has a lot that it's working on right now, but we're guessing that they would want to get this finished by the end of the first term of President Biden. Because when, like, for example, with the jewelry guides, the reason it took so long for the jewelry guides to get published last time is that it was actually all written and done before the presidential change. But because the FTC commissioners are politically appointed and they do the final approval, it took two more years to get all those nominees in place and seated before they could just you know, gavel and approve. So our guess is that we'll hopefully see something by the end of Biden's first term. So about a year from now is what we're hoping for, but we don't know. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. I actually wanted a bit about your background because I, I know that you've been in the jewelry industry for a while. Then your first role was at Sibjo. Is that your first role in the industry was at Sibjo? Is that correct? I'm actually, I cannot claim to have been in the industry for a while. I have so much respect for people who've been in this industry for decades, not to say generations. Um, so I've been in this role at the JVC for just over six years. So as much as I fall in love with it and have learned so much and feel so steeped in it, I also acknowledge that I'm still a baby in this industry. I do serve as a vice president at Sibjo as well as I'm on the U.S. Kimberly Process Authority Board and several other industry boards, but those are all concurrent with my current role at JVC, which I stepped into in March of 20. 20- 
2017. What's been your impression of the industry in those years? I love it. I mean, I've really fallen in love. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people have this story. It's profound. It's ancient. It's important. It's superficial. It's not superficial. It's so many different things. And it's so global. And there's so many different people around the world. When you look at what our supply chain really is end to end, it's fascinating. I feel like I'll never fully understand it. And it's really fun to work with different types of people here in the US and around the world, you know, with this, the end goal of beautiful art uh, that means so much emotionally to so many people around the world. So I love it. And I love all the intersections of science and art and business and politics. It's an amazing lens through which to see so many different aspects of our world. The community has been incredibly welcoming, given that there are people who, you know, are very well positioned and don't need to be as nice to me as they are by any stretch of the imagination. And people, it's really fun. You have worked in different industries. Many people do not like their jobs, no matter how much money they make. It's really fun to work with people who care. It's hard to get people to retire from this industry, right? That's not true like anywhere else. It's fun for people to welcome me, to be welcomed into the world that people have built around their businesses. And it's been, it's felt high stakes many times because there are some very, when conflict comes in our industry, it's very real. It has very real world impacts. So it can be stressful at times as well. But anyway, I won't go on and on, but uh, so far, so good. And is it, is it normal for an industry to have an organization like yours that provides legal guidance to the whole, the whole range of? Yeah, I think we're different in that, or jewelry itself is different because we have, as we all like, a lot of people like to joke, like there's a zillion industry organizations, right? There's like a million acronyms in the US. I mean, every country. It's like, there's so many industry organizations. I think what I've seen many other industries, it's a bit more consolidated. So something like JVC that does the purpose of JVC might live inside of like a larger industry organization and function as like the public affairs and policy arm. And for us, we're all kind of broken out into separate organizations. So I think that makes us different, but certainly this function exists in any industry that's, you know, a commercial industry in the US. Margins are famously a kind of a big issue for the jewelry industry. Do you feel that the JVC kind of in some ways enables industry members to to get legal guidance without having to, um, they would otherwise be spending more on their own kind of private legal advice? Thank you. Um, that's a great frame and I appreciate it. We feel that way strongly. You know, we refer, if someone has a specific intellectual property concern, we're not a law firm, we're not practicing law individually at the JVC, we're doing something much bigger. So we would refer people out to like an individual IP practitioner. We could give them some general guidance and make sure that they really actually need to engage someone before they do that. And I think that's valuable, but we're fighting for these larger concerns. Like we just talked about with sanctions and the green guide. So not only is it good for margins on legal spend, I would say we're protecting your bottom line in a much larger way. Hopefully you'll never know about it. You'll never have to worry about it. You can sleep soundly while we worry and are working with the U.S. government to prevent things from our trade that you would have to spend money on dealing with. You know, that can be complicated to communicate to people as a value proposition. All the times the thing didn't go bad, right? But yeah, we see our value helping small organizations really get their footing on some of these issues. And then we find that we're quite valuable to especially the general counsels at some of these large companies 
and understanding the issues because I used to work at a big law firm, you know, when I first started out and a big law firm, they'll be happy to bill you some hours to learn from scratch what JVC already has down pat and can tell you in, you know, five seconds. They'll be happy to bill you five hours at $1,000 an hour or whatever for that. So we found that big to small, our members have found us useful and a positive financial impact. Great. And the JVC has also expanded quite a lot recently in terms of people. And also I you launched a new website recently. Yeah, we've rebranded. We want to make sure that we're accessible, reachable to everyone. That's why we exist. We're building on our team at a pace that we want to reach as many people as possible. We're, we'll be publishing two publications this year, as well as all the work that we talked about on the call today. So we strive our best to make sure that we're living our mission. Great. Well, thank you very much, Tiffany Stevens of the JVC for joining us on the podcast. It's been a very interesting discussion. I hope we'll hear more from you. And uh, thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on rapport.com, follow Rapport Group on Instagram and follow Rapport on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.